0: So that's very interesting, isn't it? So we've had Pete and we've had Josiah. Well, I wanted to start this morning with a a story which is set in the mid-1970s, a bit longer than some of us care to remember and some of you have got no idea when the mid-1970s were or the fact that we always wore brown or purple. (laughs) Um, This story is set in in a tiny wheat belt town in Western Australia. It was a very small town, but there was a thriving Baptist church in this town and they ran an after-school kids club in the middle of the week for primary aged kids. And on one particular term, somebody had the bright idea of having the kids give talks on different subjects. And one young lad was given a talk on money. The lad was very fortunate because his father typed out the talk for him. (laughs) And the talk covered areas such as God-loving, a cheerful giver from 2 Corinthians 9-7, the story of the widow's might, which is found in both Luke and Mark. And one particular verse that really impacted the young lad was the verse... From 1 Timothy 6:10, "The love of money is the root of all evil." Well, the young lad read word for word his father's talk, and it all went over very well. He folded up the speech, and he put it in his wallet. And as he grew up and went from one wallet to another, that speech got transferred from one to the next. To the next and every time he would put money in his wallet or take money out of his wallet that speech with his father's words of scriptural principles for money remained with him until one day he lost that speech and I wish I wish I still had it I wish I could read it to you this morning and not just give you my vague recollections of it. However, I've still got its memory, and I've still got some of its thoughts. And this morning I want to take a bit of a risk in a certain extent, because this isn't going to be an an exegesis of the Bible and money. This is actually going to be some of my story with money, which I hope is an encouragement, and I hope you can get something out of, it's, uh, we, we used to say that in polite circles you didn't talk about money, so I don't know what that says about us here today. It seems to be something that we've gotten over, thankfully, and we can talk about it freely and openly. You know, my dad taught me an awful lot. We didn't grow up in what I would call an affluent family. My dad was very, very careful with money. He didn't go out and and buy the latest and greatest farm equipment. He never went out and spent a great deal of money on, on himself or on cars or expensive holidays or anything like that. And I knew growing up that my dad was very careful in the way he managed his money. Now we move along a little bit and I turn 18 and I get a truck license. How on earth we let 18-year-olds drive fully-loaded trucks on our roads, I've got no idea. Um, It was alright in my day, I drove that little thing. These days the kids back home are driving road trains. Um, They have to be slightly older than 18 but not much. So I got my truck license and I moved from from operating the harvester to driving the truck at harvest time. And apart from giving up the air-conditioned cab, and the wheat dust, I actually quite enjoyed driving the truck. And it was here I learnt something else about my dad. You see up here on the, on the side we have a, a picture of a, of a typical West Australian CBH wheat receival bin. And the little building is the, is the waybridge. And what we had is we had a, a small plastic card. It was exactly the size of a credit card. And on that card was the farmer's details. And when you went to the Weybridge, you had your docket, which spelled out all of what you were bringing to the receivable point and a whole lot of detail about it that I'd forgotten. And the card had the farmer's details on it. And you handed over the docket and you handed over the card and that ensured that that load of grain or would go to the right farmer. And so when I started driving the truck, Dad came up to me and he, and he said, We have another card. And it's a card for the church. It had Dalwollenew Baptist Church on this card. And he said, you need to keep an account of every load that you take to the bin and every tenth load you give over the church's card. And I found that amazing because we grew our area was a, a marginal um, grain growing area in WA and we had far more bad years than good. And every single year, every tenth load went to the church and that spoke volumes to me dad didn't need to give me any lectures he didn't need to sit me down and tell me anything he just said keep account of every load and every tenth load use the church's card I have a tremendous amount to be thankful for from the example of my dad and also my mum and I'll be seeing them in a week's time which will be very good and I'm looking forward to that but the fact that Dad would give, give 10% straight off the bat, without any questions asked, was just... I guess it spoke truckloads to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Dad joke, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> so I want, to, um, I want to just have a, have a very, very brief um, chat about tithing just for a moment and i know that that for some tithing is a very familiar word but for others who are particularly new to the church you might hear people talk about tithing sometimes i wonder what the heck is that what does it mean and uh, certainly um, tithing and and in christian principles we're told we should tithe 10 percent or we should give 10 percent to the church or the lord well something that's always stuck stuck in the back of my mind is that you know what every time we say that it's a great principle but it's actually not quite true because in the old testament there are at least three tithes there was a little levitical tithe which is giving 10% of your of your crops and that's the one we're familiar with and that's where we get our principle and practice of 10% but there was also the festival tithe which was another 10% so 10 plus 10 in my language was 1 plus 2 equal to equal to equal so you get to 20% and then every third year there was the poor tithe. And I can't help but mention again how many times I've heard in, in recent months in this church about looking after the poor and looking after the widows and the orphans. And that's what the poor tithe was for, which occurred every third year. So research tells me that depending on which way you cut the, cut the cake or, or slice it all up, it's at least 22% that the typical Israelite would be giving to the Levites. And, and, and out of their produce and crops and income. So um, it's much more, it was much more than 10% that was tithed. So it was a, an awful lot. In the New Testament, we're not called to tithe, we're called to give. And I want to talk a little bit about that as well. Well, I ended up crossing the Nullarbor and going to Sydney and that's where I met Judy. And we started out the first few years of our marriage in full-time ministry with a mission organisation. Now there was no stipend, there was no wage, there was no regular income that, that we had. And just like we heard from Ian and Betty Rouse last week, we were reliant upon the giving and generosity of, of uh, churches and friends and other Christians. And aside from regularly hearing from my parents, a couple of different quotes. One of them was my mum's favourite, which was, money doesn't grow on trees. (laughs) And I would quite regularly ask mum for something and she would go, money doesn't grow on trees, Peter. What do you think, I've got a money tree in the backyard? (laughs) And one that both mum and dad used to use was one um, which said, if you look after the pennies the dollars will look after themselves. And that's certainly what Judy and I had to do in our our early marriage when our income was extremely limited. We couldn't budget. How can you budget when you don't have an income? How can you budget when you don't know where your next dollars are coming from or, or where they will come from? So we started a practice which we continued and still do. We've moved from paper though onto computers, which is much easier, still a pain, and we kept account of every dollar we spent so that we knew where our money was going. And whenever we bought something with cash, we would ask for a cash receipt so that we could keep a track of it in our, in our money journal, as it were. Anytime we didn't have a receipt, we would write the cash on our calendar so every month we could tally up and work out what we had spent where. And uh, we actually kept one of those money books. We threw all the rest out. And this is what they looked like. It was just a simple paper journal. And it had columns in it. And, uh, and that's how we did it, I guess. And so I pulled it out. It was funny. I am a bloke, but I knew exactly where this book lived. <laughs> and I pulled it out and it... And it tells us that for the 1994-95 year, we had a total income of $10,705. How I wish I could live off that now. <laughs> but we did. We survived. And, uh, but looking through the book, there was, there was a couple of things that really struck me. One was how many people supported us. One was how many of my old Sunday school teachers supported us because I was a rat bag in Sunday school let me tell you I couldn't shut up for a start and they gave $20 here $50 there and it all added up the other thing that struck me in the same same place was how many of both of our parents' friends actually gave to us which was really amazing and as with Ian and Betty last week community church was a was a church that gave to us each month so that was something that we knew that we could rely on and of course what struck me was how little we lived down. Well in the first week of July I'll never forget it in 1995 we left Sydney and we moved down here to Warrigal. by then we had two kids we had Scott who was a week off turning one and we had Tim who was three and a half we had no qualifications We had no job experience outside of Christian ministry. We had no job to come to and we had $400 in the bank and that was it. And I won't say it was the most enjoyable time of my life. Things hadn't gone well in Sydney and that's why we came down here. It's where Judy was from. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the story of the widow's mite. Now for a lot of you, you'll be thinking, what the heck is a mite? It's a bug, isn't it? (laughs) Something that gets in your bed or your hair or something like that. And for those who are familiar with it, well, I've got news for you, you're actually old. (laughs) Because it actually comes from one of the older translations of the Bible, this name of this story and this term, the widow's mite. Newer versions might say that The widow gave two copper coins or two small coins. But the story is set in the temple where Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two very small copper coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poorer as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Effectively, her donation was like giving two five-cent pieces in today's currency. And yet Jesus pulls her out as an example and says she has given more than anyone else. And Judy and I were very aware that when we were in ministry and and when we were, were back here and didn't have much, it did not release us from this concept of giving. And so we still gave, although not very much. So I fast forward 13 years or so, and we've added Rachel to our family by this stage. I've gained some business and management qualifications, we've had another four-year stint in ministry in Melbourne, I'd worked for a water authority in finance and in contracts, and we'd also managed somehow to buy our first home. And I ended up at this point working for a not-for-profit organisation, running financial literacy workshops. And it was a very enjoyable two years I spent with that organisation. And as as part of it, I would run workshops for community people who were involved and signed up to the program. And you know, one thing I learned in that program was that some of the best budgeters going around are those with limited incomes. Because they're forced to. And because they know the, the need for it. And one of the best I ever came up with was a lady who actually got an old photo album. Now, many of us don't know what photo albums are anymore, but they used to have plastic pockets in them. <laughs> and she would labelled different pages for different bills and accounts that would be coming up through the year. And as money came in each fortnight, she would put cash in the pockets so that she could pay her bills when they came due. having cash in a photo album in the house that somebody could take is probably another thing to think about but anyway it worked for her and we talked about all sorts of things in that program and it it was really enjoyable and on the last slide I, I had up there you know I love real coffee as I call it can't stand this instant stuff I like to go and have a nice brewed coffee and I put up the example on that slide that You know, coffee costs four bucks. Do that five times a week, that's one a day. You get $20. Do that every week of the year, you get to $1,000. And then you think, my goodness, that could have been a couple of mortgage payments. That could have been a donation. That could have been something else. And that's just one cup of coffee a day. It adds up. And it doesn't say that drinking a cup of coffee a day is wrong or bad. Well, you shouldn't do it. It's just the impact and the power of those little amounts that add up and accumulate over a year. Now, I want to um, put up a couple of slides here because you know we're we're often told how lucky we are to live in Australia. But in the news this week on the ABC website, for those that care to go and have a look at it this afternoon, there are actually two articles which I guess resonated with me and are, and are relevant for us. The first. Um, and these are assumed names that they've used. Is of a couple who, uh, who the article says, says this they had a BMW, two investment properties, good jobs on decent pay. But the reality was they had no savings. Instead, they owed around $100,000, not including their mortgages. It was stressful. It was stressful on their marriage. They were fighting all the time simply because they didn't have cash to do do anything. They couldn't actually live. And you know, that is such a typical story. And then the next one, um, which was just in yesterday's paper, is of a, a, uh, a mature gentleman. And the article, just as Liz prayed earlier, this article was entitled Credit Cards Drought, and bad loans create crippling debt for rural Australians and this gentleman says it overwhelms you I've never suffered from depression in my life I didn't really know what depression was I do now I just sit and think I cannot get over this hill and sadly the article goes on to say that he said my father lived until he was well into his nineties. I hope I don't get there, because I don't think I can. And, and there are incredible financial pressures on Australians. And yes, I know there's great needs in other countries in the world, but we have great financial pressures on us in this country. And if these slides resonate with you, can I suggest that you actively seek out a financial counsellor or a financial advisor because you can get through it. There is help available to you. And there are some fantastic techniques and ways that you can do that. So back to giving. For Judy and I for most of our married life There was no way that we could give anywhere near this 10% marker which is held up for Christians. We simply couldn't do it. And back to that verse in 2 Corinthians which says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each one should give according to what they have decided in their heart to give, not out of regret or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We didn't have anywhere near 10% that we could give, but we gave as we were able. And we tried, with emphasis on the word tried, not to give reluctantly. We tried to give generously. And cheerfully. And you know, you'll hear many messages on giving. You'll hear many biblical claims and promises of wealth and success, which simply aren't true. You'll hear people guilt you by saying, We're among the richest people in the world, so you should be generous. Because look at all those less fortunate around you. You'll be exposed to needs in the church, in missions, in your own family, in your friends, in natural disasters. And there are so many times and places and desires that you want to give and you won't be able to meet them all. Particularly when you have your own financial pressures and burdens as well. So what do I believe? I believe that giving is something that we all should be doing. I believe it's something that we should try and do first. That we should work out what we can give. That we should work out how we can give more. And that we should be giving cheerfully. And we shouldn't be giving out of obligation. And that ten percent is a great principle, but it is just a marker. And if you're somebody sitting out there this morning that that have heard this 10% and believe you should be giving 10% and know that you just can't, hey, that's where we've been most of our married life. It is just aspirational from that perspective. It's not a command for us today. Being poor never let us off the hook thankfully because it's a habit and it's a habit that we needed to continue and needed to develop. So this message hasn't been about what you should do and I certainly haven't wanted to put financial pressures or burdens on people to give more than what they're able or to put any markers before you as to what you should be doing because I recognise just like those two slides from the news this week that there is a lot of financial pressure in our that we face as individuals and what I've wanted to do is just show you some snippets from, from Jude's and my journey as we've gone over the years in raising our kids and, and uh, different jobs and different roles and just like my dad wrote all those years ago to give cheerfully to give as we're able and one that I might be brave enough to talk about one day and that's the verse money is the root of all kinds of evil because it does have a flip side it's not a very good master and you know as I read the Bible it is full of sound financial advice, giving principles of stewardship and careful management. And I believe there's many people that can help us work through the financial situations and difficulties that we are in. So I've shared the story this morning in the hope that it's an encouragement. and uh, If anyone wants to come out and sit on my deck and chew over the topic of money and finance, then I'll leave you with three things. A, I love talking. <laughs> B, I love talking about money. <laughs> and C, I'm very comfortable sharing about our journey and how we got from arriving in Warrigal in 1995 with just $400 to being in a position now where, where finally, finally when we go out with people, I can pay for the meal. I can pay for the coffee after for so many years having had other people do that for me and the ability and the beauty and the joy now to be able to do that and return that for other people is something which just overflows my heart because it is so good to now be able to give generously and cheerfully to other people. So thank you.